Hello and welcome back to the One Football Podcast. I'm Dan Burke and I'm joined today by Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Podrick Whelan. Hello, Dan. Now, you might have noticed that we've been away for a while on a uh, unplanned hiatus, uh, let's say. Uh, there's been a bit of change at One Football HQ, and it's my solemn duty to report that my podcast co host, Matt Froelich, is sadly no longer with us. Uh, he's not dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he died, didn't he? <laughs> A moment of silence for Matt. Yeah, he's not dead. He's just uh, he's just left the company. Um, I'd like to think that you will hear Matt's voice on the podcast again one day. Never say never. It's not goodbye. Just see you later and all that jazz. Uh, but for now, we're going to have to soldier on without him with a heavy heart. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about today, so let's uh, let's dive straight in at the beginning of the uh, the high profile managerial casualties in the Premier League that we've seen in recent days. Let's start with uh, with Graham Potter uh, giving his marching orders by Chelsea on Sunday night. Lewis, how shocked were you when this news came through? I was surprised by how shocked I was. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like you're sort of lulled into a soul, uh, full sense of security when a team waits until like eight o'clock or on a Sunday to, to, I guess, break the bad news for from Graham Potter's perspective anyway. Yeah, I, I also guess I was shocked just because Chelsea were 11th, I think, after Saturday's game or after the weekend. And it's kind of like, well, you've given him this long. You might as well just give him a, a couple of extra months now mm. and see if he gets a tune out of the players before the end of the season. Um, I don't know. So I was I was quite surprised. The, the Obviously, the messaging from Chelsea all along has been that they believe in Graham Potter, they're backing Graham Potter, they were happy to be patient and wait and see how it goes. Potter himself, just a few weeks ago, was talking about the pressure that Mikel Arteta was under at some point at Arsenal and, and look how that's turned out, which, you know, I think was always a little bit fanciful. To, it's, not, it's not like everybody will always just turn things around if you give them long enough. But yeah, I was... Um, just, though nothing has really gone very well at Chelsea, I was still surprised. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, when they when they appointed him, I, I was a bit surprised that they appointed him in the first place, to be honest. It seemed like a bit of a, a very un-Chelsea move to appoint a manager who's, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, sort of uncelebrated, you might say, um, kind of flavour of the month type manager. You know, I'm, I've no doubt that Graham Potter is a good coach, but it just didn't seem like a, a non-Chelsea appointment for them. Do you think they kind of regret that appointment at this point, Podrick? Do you think they um, wish they'd gone for a more established name at the time? Yeah, I'm not sure because like everything you kind of hear and read that came out of it seemed like that even Bowley and the, the hierarchy at the club really wanted it to work out and they almost it's like as if he's gone even for them with a heavy heart and it just got to the point where you know they they just didn't see where the the upturn and the improvement was going to come from. So yeah, it's for, for the club. I think they really. Whether you agree that he's gone or not, I think from their point of view, they gave him as long as they felt that they could. And yeah, it's just, I still think it's very harsh on, on Potter and as it would be on anyone, like seven months, just yeah. it's not really long enough, is it, to, to prove yourself? But yeah, a club like Chelsea, um, yeah, new ownership, but things are not really changing a whole lot it seems in the manager front yeah yeah well a lot of people have been saying this week even uh, even Abramovich didn't sack two managers in one season so uh, what did he not uh, well apparently that's, not yeah that's, that's great <laughs> I, I, I was surprised by that as well yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's Graham Potter's barber that I feel sorry for he must have thought he was in for a you know a very lucrative little time after that that <laughs> I'm nice sure haircut Graham Potter that he got. will still need haircuts 
Yeah, but was that his big mistake that he got the uh, he got that fancy haircut first day <laughs> in the job? Did that did that set him up for failure? <laughs> <laughs> we never know. Yeah. I mean, his record at Chelsea, 31 matches, 12 wins, 8 draws, 11 defeats, Lewis. Um, do you think that run of results meant that he had to go? Did he, did he deserve to be sacked? Um, oh, I don't know, because I feel like if he had to go, like he could have gone earlier. They could have just done this earlier. They, the, the run hasn't, like a hor- it hasn't been a horrible run of like 10 games now specifically I guess they're they know now that they definitely won't be sort of around the Champions League places and and maybe that's had something to do with it um if he deserved it I mean he didn't he didn't deserve more time he didn't show enough that meant he deserved more time in charge but at the same time it's been a bit of a basket case of a club you know reports this week of players at the training ground getting changed in the corridors because there were just too many players and none of that's really his fault you yeah. know agreeing to to spend 100 million uh or whatever it was on on Mikhailo Madrid like yes it's his job to make that work but maybe they've spent 100 million on a player who's not ready to go into a team that was already unsettled in his first sort of foray into top flight football and just deliver week in, week out. I think yeah. he's, a, he's a really talented player, but to think that a 23-year-old who had played a handful of Champions League games and played about a season of first-team football in with Shakhtar Donetsk was going to jump in and, and save the day and fix Chelsea's attack, which has struggled not just this season, but last season as well. He was always, always incredibly fanciful. So, yeah, I mean... The amount of money that Chelsea have spent, the amount of players they've brought in, I don't know if many managers could have got a tune out of them, to be honest. And I think a lot of the them being 11th in the league right now, a lot of that lies at the feet of, of Todd Bowley and the people running the club and not just whoever's been in the dugout all season. Yeah. I suppose it sort of comes back to what I was saying earlier, Podrick, about maybe Chelsea just regretting appointing him in the first place. It just doesn't seem in the time that Todd Bowley and, you know, Clear Lake Capital have been in charge that they have just had a clear plan as to what they actually want, like what the direction of the club is. You know, they've thrown money at problems. They've brought all these players in. Like, you know, Lewis said about the players getting changed in the uh, in the corridor, you know, there's some talk about him having to have 11 v 11 games and 9 v 9 games on the training ground. Like, how yeah. could he possibly un- work out what his best team is with so <laughs> many players to work with? Like, was he just on a hide into nothing from day one? Do you think was it an impossible job? And does it suggest that it's going to be very difficult for whoever comes in? Yeah, I think so. I think he, he probably was, and uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty much more of the same. I mean, even in the summer whoever the new manager is, they are going to have a lot of work to do. And it's not even just about like offloading players who are in the squad now. I think if you look at it, you've got Lukaku, Bakayoko, oh, yeah. hudson Adoy. You've got like quite a few other players that are all going to come back into the, the frame this summer as well. So, yeah, it's, there's going to be even more problems and more players changing out in the corridors by... Uh, <laughs> the sounds of things so it's really and I I understand like obviously that's not going to be down to the manager to get rid of all of these but these players but I think that's going to go a long way to to help in it and um, I mean my god like if we've seen anything from the the two Todd Bowley transfer windows would you rule out another like <laughs> summer where he just I mean they, surely they can't and it just would make no sense but yeah it just seemed the guy's just addicted to to treating it like almost like I think me and Lewis were talking about this um, yesterday, where 
it's very much not the LA Dodgers, but he's treating it as such with with all these crazy um, off seasons. I mean, surely they can't do that, but yeah, like the new manager might come in and might want his own men, and then that leads to more. It's yeah, it's just absolutely insane. That that has to be the first priority um, after they get the new manager in. Though that squad needs to yeah. be trimmed. Big thing. What What do you mean by it's not the LA Dodgers for those of us who uh, perhaps aren't au fait with baseball? Well, just that, yeah, that in baseball there's just so much of that, and the Dodgers are one of the biggest um, for it, where they will just spe- outspend everyone every single off season. And uh, sorry about that. And um, yeah, it's they'll spend crazy money on long-term contracts and I think that's something we've actually seen yeah. coming in at Chelsea as well where players are getting handed the eight, nine, ten-year deals to to spread the cost over the length of that and yeah, I mean it, it works I guess in baseball um, you know that you're going to get a lot of production up front um, when you sign these players and you probably really know are aware that towards the end these guys aren't going to produce on the level that they mm. did in football it's, I mean, it's just so many more variables to this game Will Mikhailo Mutrik be the player he is in nine years? Will he even be in like nine months? Like, yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. as I said, not not the early dodge, but I, I honestly I am really enjoying it though. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you're a Chelsea fan, probably not, but this this is some box office stuff that's going on then. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's the thing about the, the Mudrick deal, and uh, I think they did it with Maduake, didn't he? Like, if if it works out, if they if it all goes to plan and they develop as, as expected, then great. Like this amortization uh, stuff is is going to work out fine. But if you've tra- got to then try and sell those players at a cut price in two years because it's not worked out, then it's going to be it's going to be very difficult. I've seen a few people uh, this week, Lewis, saying that you know. Todd Bowley hasn't read the room, he doesn't understand English football and all this kind of thing. But then, you know, when you look at kind of Twitter and stuff during transfer windows and you're getting Chelsea fans <laughs> loving all these signings that are coming in, like maybe he has read the room, maybe like this is what people actually want. And, uh, you know, he it's it's not not really his fault that they've <laughs> splashed all this cash around. What, what do you think? Yeah, like, I think, I think like, to Podrick's point in the baseball thing and like it's just spending money, you sort of if you spend enough, you are sort of guaranteed success in mm. baseball. Cause if you like just how detailed stats are, because you've got baseball is a game where every moment is just basically one V one. Um, yeah, there are no, there's no team involved in that. Mm. Like you've got to fit into a system and stuff like that. It's, it's a pitcher, it's a batter. And if you're good at pitching, if you're good at batting, then you will help the team progress football as we all know just doesn't work like that so mm. like I do worry that he's sort of applied that logic to to, to football and or who Bowley and whoever else is making decisions at Chelsea but you're right like has he read the room well he's he has kind of done what fans ask yeah. owners to do he's walked in yeah. and spent yeah. 600 million pounds and sacked the manager when they're losing games like isn't that what fans are moaning for all yeah. the time yeah. both of those things I think it's just a lesson to to those fans to fans of all clubs really that, that it's not that easy it doesn't work like that mm. you can't just come in and buy three centre-backs and a couple of wingers and a midfielder who won the World Cup and get a new manager because he's won seven or eight games in a row with a different club and different players and a different system. And you can't just plug all of that in and then it all go seamlessly and work in football. There's just way too many variables. It's all up in the air. And yeah, yeah it's not that easy. And it's something that, as you say, Dan, like 
you look at Twitter during the transfer windows, mm. it's something everybody could do with remembering and not just not just Chelsea fans and maybe something that Todd Bowley and, and Clear Lake need to take a step back from and think about approaching it in another yeah. way as well. Yeah, the transfer market just and, seems to have taken on a life of its own in football recently and I just yeah. I f- find it very unappealing personally. But in spite of all of that, like... In three months, he could look like a hero. They could actually still end up winning the Champions League. And I really don't think it was part of the plan, all of this, obviously. But yeah, they might end. I mean, Chelsea, they usually do well, don't they, when they sack a manager in the middle of a Champions League campaign? Um, I think both times they've won it. It was the guy who came in, wasn't it, halfway through the season? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. You never know. Uh, well, I- I'm going to go on record and say I will eat my hat live on the podcast of Chelsea with the podcast this season. Uh, the Champions League. Uh, Chelsea yeah. win the podcast. <laughs> Chelsea win the Champions League even, yeah. They can win the podcast as well if uh, if that's the case. They can have it um, for a very, <laughs> very reasonable price. <laughs> now, the uh, the talk about the, the replacement for Graham Potter is that Chelsea are looking at seven different managers. Uh, I mean, that to me, Lewis, doesn't exactly scream uh, that they kind of know what they want to do next uh, who in your view would be a good appointment I mean there's some talk today that Luis Enrique has flown in for talks that have been fully convinced by him personally but what do you reckon I'd be I'd be quite interested to see Luis Enrique you know back at back in the club game and and having another crack at it because I think you know that Barcelona team it's an interesting one isn't it how good was that Barcelona team and how were they that good how much were they that good because they had Messi Suarez and Neymar but sort of peak performance as their front three and how much of it was Luis Enrique figuring stuff out. So I, I would be intrigued, not necessarily confident that it'll work, but very intrigued. Like I personally, I think Julian Nagelsmann is great. Um, and even if, if things ended in the end, surprisingly uh, at Bayern Munich, I think that Julian Nagelsmann would be a really good coach, whoever he goes to next. And Chelsea, I think, would be smart to to make that move, also because it would stop Tottenham from being able to make it. Yeah, I, I would have been, felt so sorry for Brighton if Chelsea had gone in for Roberto De Zerbi. There was some talk about that in recent days, but I think that's been sort of poured cold water on now. Like, you can't just go back and take the other manager that they yeah, because it like, worked so well last yeah. time. But even so, isn't that just like a horrible like way to view football? Like, yeah, we're the rich club. Like, fuck you, Brighton. We're just going to take your manager again. Like, it's uh, yeah, very very disgusting. Uh, if well, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, thankfully. But yeah, and uh, another manager who lost his job on Sunday. Um, Chelsea really stole his thunder. Was a Brendan Rodgers. Uh, he has uh, left Leicester with them mired in the relegation zone. Um, I know you're a very professional person, Padre, but you, you probably took a little bit of personal satisfaction from this uh, having, uh, you know, had, had him stripped away from Celtic by Leicester a few years ago. Oh no, <clears throat> you never like to see anybody lose their job, do you? Um, unless that person's name is Brendan Rodgers. Uh, yeah, uh, professional. Yeah, quite because I do think he's a very good coach, very good manager. Um, I don't quite understand, to be honest, why he stuck around at Leicester that long. Um, It's just, yeah, they won the FA Cup, I think. Did they go on to win the Community Shield as well? They did, yeah, they beat Sicilia. Yeah, yeah, I think they did. So, I mean, mean, that summer was probably when his stock was at his high. It was probably the time to go. Not that they'd done that. Um, The first few seasons, like, was it... Two years in a row, I think, they kind of collapsed on the final day yeah. or the final few weekends and threw top four away, which, I mean, yeah, like whatever about them winning the Premier League to 
have got an even top four finish incredible for Leicester. And I, yeah, I think he just suffered from, he stuck around there. I think they've signed, what, maybe like two players in the last two years or something. Like yeah. They just really have not added to the squad only so much that he can do. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, when you leave like a thief in the night, um, <laughs> I shan't be sh- shedding too many tears <laughs> over it. And I doubt he will either. I mean, he he, he won't be out of work for long. No. Same as Graham Potter. I mean, these guys are yeah, they're too good, whether it's somewhere else in the Premier League or, I don't know, maybe Rodgers fancies himself abroad. Um, yeah, kind of Spain's always the one, isn't it? Yeah, he or definitely fancies himself. Him. I can say that for, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, interesting to see where he ends up. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's fair to say Leicester have punched above their weight uh, in recent years, like you say, winning that cup and, and coming close to qualify for the Champions League and, you know, being in Europe, getting to the Conference League semi-final, I think they got to last year, didn't they? And this year they've very much punched below their weight you might say I mean I feel like every time I've watched them they've lost this season I keep thinking like how are they not in relegation danger yet they very much are in relegation danger now Lewis <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, second bottom of the table losing to Aston Villa uh, last night are they are they too good to go down or would you be seriously worried if you were a Leicester fan at this moment in time yeah like I think just just on what Podrick said on Brendan Rodgers as well like everyone like oh he's bottled it he's bottled top four it's like yeah. did anyone expect Leicester to finish fourth yeah like he got them in that position in the first place a couple of times and yeah like they've just I think they're in big trouble because I think they have bled talent over the last few years and I don't think you know for a mixture of, of sales and players just Jamie Vardy in particular um you know, being way past their peak. Uh, Yuri Tielemans, I think, is a, is a good player, but to, like, dominate a midfield in a Premier League game, I just think he's, like, way too slow and he's sort of the main man in midfield. You know, you look around and they've had injuries as well. James Madison at times has, has not been available or seems to be a player that sort of produces a moment of magic, but then doesn't really do much for another half an hour. And by the time you do that in a Premier League game, you're a little bit screwed. I think they're in big, big trouble. I think that the team has got weaker and weaker over the last few years. And, and, and now they don't have a manager and they're 19th in the league. So, yeah, I... I would be very, very worried if I was a Leicester fan about how the rest of the season is going to pan out. It's so tight down at the bottom and and it's all going to come down to those head-to-head games, you know, when you play, I think they've got Bournemouth this weekend and then when you when you play sort of those teams around you, who can take points off of who? And looking at the fixture list, they don't have that many of those matches at home. Like they, they've got to play Everton at home, but other than that... You know, and they've got to play City, they've got to play Newcastle, they've got to play Liverpool. Um, yeah, I I don't think things look very good for Leicester. And I think that there's just not... If I'm looking at sort of who's going to get out of trouble just based on ability in the squad, like I just think there's more there with Everton, with West Ham, with maybe Forrest, sort of a player who's going to maybe turn it on and win you a game than, than I see with Leicester, at least so far this season. I don't think they're particularly good at either end of the pitch. Yeah. Um, I, so I was going to add, Lewis, like, for me, they also have, I can't think of it, but the worst goalkeeper in the league, like the worst <laughs> starting keeper, he he just he just doesn't convince me at all, Danny Ward. And no. like, the Schmeichel ones, because it doesn't seem like it's worked out either for Schmeichel in France. And he was kind of giving interviews in January about He'd maybe come back, but I mean, he—I'm not—he's definitely not the only factor. But that 
I think that is a big reason for where they are, where they are. The ball just seems to go through him. I mean, Bazunu can maybe give him a run for his money as well. That, yeah. I'm real, not convinced with him at all. But yeah, Danny Ward, just I think he's cost Leicester quite a lot of points this season. Yeah, I think I, that was Roger's call by by all accounts, wasn't it? When when Schmeichel was not offered the contract that he wanted, and he said, "Well, I'll go to I'll go to uh, France," and uh, Roger said, "Well, yeah, I fancy Danny Ward to step up and and take his place." And like you say, it's just not not worked yeah, out. Yeah, I at mean, all. I guess maybe he watched him in Scotland. Like he he was good the the season that he was in Scotland, but pff, I mean, different ball game. Yeah, uh, Premier League. Yeah, well, they uh, they need someone in as a new manager to to try and save them from relegation. Podrick, any any names spring to mind? Do they need a a firefighter? Should they go for like an interim appointment till the end of the season and then then look for a more permanent manager, or is it is it time to get Big Sam on the blower? <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> is, is it time for Big Sam? Um, I had a look as well. I was like, oh, what's Claudio Ranieri up to these days? But, uh, sadly, <laughs> sadly, he's in a job. That would be. That would, I think that would be a nice bookend. It would, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. If they went to Calgary, bought him out. Um, Claudio takes him down. No, nah, <laughs> really, really, they need Nigel Pearson yeah. to keep them up, and then sack him and get Claudio Ranieri in for next season. Oh, there we go. It's happening all over again. I've got uh, a name for you, Podrick. Ange Postacoglu. <laughs> Uh, would, you, would you would you would you like call a fatwa on the city of Leicester or something if that happened at this point? Well, th- yeah, it would be like I think like you'd mentioned about if Chelsea had the the balls to go back to Brighton and try and take yeah. Reserve. I think the yeah half of the city of Glasgow would march on Leicester in mass. <laughs> I think to uh, yeah, thankfully I, I I don't see it happening. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a straight that there's quite quite the mix when you look at the the people who are in the frame for the Leicester one. But yeah, when you went to about interim, I just don't think they have the, or to keep uh, keep going to call to get the stand-in, Adam Sandler. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> Adam Sadler, yeah. the, the guy that they have. It just, it seems, it, it surprises me that they got rid of Rodgers um, when they did without having someone pretty much ready to come in this week or even come in for the game um, on Tuesday night. I mean, guess like Chelsea, whatever, their season's kind of a, a bit of a bust at this point anyway. Spurs, a little bit of a weird one because obviously they're still in the fight for the Champions League, but uh, Champions League places. But I mean, Leicester really need someone. And if they wanted to get rid of Rodgers, because I mean, it could be all the difference, like a few games um, was not having a, a long term appointment to, to having it. So I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe like, it literally is as, as horrible as it is every time someone at the bottom looks at you, just pick up the phone to. To Big Sam, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't see, I don't see who else is like going to take this job either. Like, it's Rogers was upset in the summer because they wouldn't spend anything. They were all like, they were already acting like that. Then you could end up in the champ. Like, there's a good chance you end up in the championship. They're going to spend even less. They're sort of the team with the worst form in in the 2023 so far in the league as well. Like, who who takes that job now? Mm. Yeah, I mean, apparently they approached Potter and he said no, which is very sensible from him, if you ask me. Like, yeah, yeah. why would you just like leave Chelsea in the you know the, the situation he's been in for the last seven months and plunge yourself straight into a relegation battle? Maybe he said to him like, yeah, if you stay up, I'll think about it in the summer. But yeah, it, he'd be mad to take that job now. And yeah, who, who knows uh, where they turn next? And uh, Jesse yeah. Marsh. <laughs> there we go. That would be a, a, a real sad state of affairs if he were to get a job, <laughs> wouldn't it? I think, yeah. 
Um, you mentioned Spurs there. They're, they're also in the market for a new manager. It seems like a long time ago since uh, Conte left now. But yeah, they, uh, they've got uh, Christian Stellini uh, in charge until the end of the season when they'll, they'll reassess things. Where do you reckon they should turn next, Lewis? Would, uh, would Brendan Rodgers or, or Graham Potter be a good, uh, a good match for them? Yeah, Spurs would love a manager who hasn't done well at Chelsea. Like <laughs> they keep appointing managers who win the league at Chelsea, and that doesn't work. And then they're going to appoint one who couldn't even do that. Um, honestly, I, I've I find this really hard to to call. I think Julian Nagelsmann was probably the front runner. Um, maybe that's changed with the with the Chelsea job becoming available if he ends up there. I I think if it's not him, that they'll end up going back to to Maurizio Pochettino. Mm. Um, which, you know, never go back, as they say. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a very different situation now. You know, the, they had a young team when he came in. The expectations were to maybe get into Europe, maybe on the off chance, fight for a Champions League spot um, every now and then. I think the expectations at Tottenham now, and we've seen, obviously, Conte's been sacked and they're fourth in the table, or they were when he was when he was sacked. Mm. Like The, the, the goalposts have moved because of the success um, in inverted commas, I guess, that Mauricio Pochettino had at Spurs. And yeah, the fans, the club, they expect more now, um, but without having the the budget or the history to attract players who can deliver more. So the, there's a real pressure on the manager to sort of get a team that can play exciting football, that football that is competitive and get them into the top four where you've got sort of battling with five teams, six teams that all are likely to spend at least as much, if not more money than them. I I think it's a, a bit of a poison chalice, to be honest. I think the Brendan Rodgers one is weird. I think like a year ago, I could have seen it. And like Podrick sort of said, you win the, or finish fifth twice, win the FA Cup. If Brendan Rodgers had sort of walked away from the Leicester job at that point, mm. I think he would have been high on the list of the next time sort of Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea changed the managers. I think he would have got an interview at least. I think even City clubs. was sort of like having a look at him at one point about a year or two ago and thinking it's, he could be the, the Guardiola successor, yeah? that's It's impossible to imagine now, right? Just mm. because, like, really can Tottenham sack Antonio Conte and then appoint a manager who's been sacked because his team is 19th in the Premier League. I feel like you'd lose one game. You'd lose the first game or the, or the third game or something and the stadium would just explode. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he would have to work so hard to to get the fans behind him. Um, and I think sort of the, the anger, the ire that would turn to the board and Daniel Levy before the ball was even kicked, to be honest, if if Rogers was just appointed now, given the the situation Leicester are in, I think they'd go mad. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be a, a bigger name than that, if you like a, a more established name. Nagelsmann is the one that that leaps out, but Pochettino is hard to look past. Mm, yeah, it seems like the the sensible no brainer choice that one, doesn't it? Really, just uh, just touching on Conte. Uh, we've, obviously, we've not really spoken about this uh, on the podcast since uh, since he's left Spurs. I mean, I really thought Podrigo when he came in at Spurs that he was going to be the sort of uh, silver bullet for them. That he was going to be the man to kind of change the culture at the club. You know, having been so successful everywhere else, he's done bringing a winning mentality to this club. I really, I really thought he'd win a cup for them at the very least. You know, by now and and. Uh, it just all unraveled for him, you know, so quickly. And, you know, that, 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 that press conference where he basically slagged everyone off was the, the end of it, wasn't it really? Like, do you, do you feel like there's something fundamentally broken at the club, the fact that he, even he couldn't make it work? Or does he have to take some responsibility for the fact that it didn't work out? 
I'm a hundred percent with you. I think when Conte took over, if someone had told you he will leave without winning a trophy, I would have been really surprised mm-hmm. at that. Um, I thought he would as well. Got a really good team, and he kind of made a lot of complaints about uh, like spending money and all that kind of thing. But when you look at it, I mean, he was backed. Like, Do you remember when they won the transfer window last summer? <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's a trophy, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and like the money that he spent on Richarlison, all these guys, Kulisevsky, well, the money started to come off that. Like, they have, they, they, he was backed, backed really well. And yeah, like I said, I thought they would end up winning something under him. Um, and the fact that they didn't, it does point to what you're saying. Clearly, the problems run deeper. I mean, you only have to look, I think. Conte kind of warned about the mentality in that squad and some of the player in, in the press conference you're talking about, the one that pretty much sealed his fate. And then they went to 10-man Everton um, in the first game without him and still found a way to throw points away yeah. in that one. So, I mean, he called it. He, he did. I think, um, yeah, he does have to shoulder a lot of the, not a lot of the blame, but... His fair share of the blame, obviously. Um, but I do also think with Conte as well, he, he had a lot going on privately, didn't he? Mm. Um, this season, like losing people close to him, health problems, that kind of thing, um, which I think probably doesn't get enough. That's um, true, yeah. Get enough publicity probably on that that he he probably probably shouldn't even have been working um, yeah. this season, let alone working in a in an environment like that in a football club like that. So, yeah. Um, be interesting to see where he pops up next, though, actually, because he's kind of burned all his bridges in Italian football. <laughs> he's already managed the national team. Um, done Chelsea, yeah. He's, he's done uh, Chelsea, yeah. So he's he's an interesting one to watch. Does, <laughs> does he hang on for, I don't know, like Real Madrid or something mm. like that? So, yeah, that'll, uh, that'll be a fun one. Indeed, yeah. Do you want to stick the boot in on Spurs before we move on, Lewis? No, no. I think that transfer window trophy will sit very nicely <laughs> next to the Audi Cup. <laughs> All right, like that fantastic stat that you pointed out to me, Lewis, about Richarlison's um, Premier League record with the bookings. That sensational stuff. What was that again? That uh, I think he's got two bookings. Oh yeah, he's been. Oh yeah, right. In the he's... Premier League this season, but he's never yeah, actually, he's not actually scored a goal. <laughs> yeah, he scored twice, and they've both been disallowed. But he took his shirt off celebrating both of them. So, um, <laughs> I think maybe the yellow cards were rescinded, but he yeah. has been shown a yellow card twice. Um, for scoring precisely zero Premier League goals. That is 60 million pounds. So Spursy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about Liverpool now. I mean, they uh, still have a manager, but uh, it's a possibility that they might not have one for very much longer. Uh, or maybe it's not, I don't know, but... You know they were they were very poor in that defeat to City at the weekend. They uh, they weren't much better in the nil draw with Chelsea on Tuesday night. When you look at the figure that Jurgen Klopp is cutting, Lewis, do you feel like maybe this is the uh, the end of his time at Liverpool? Are we getting close to that, or is he going to be the, uh, the the man still in charge next summer uh, next season? I- I thought I thought it could be, and then and then he just seemed really relaxed in his press conference on on Monday ahead of this this game, this nil nil against Chelsea, when he was chatting about like, oh yeah, the elephant in the room obviously is is how I'm still in a job, and I'm I'm fully aware that I'm only in a job because of what I've done in previous seasons, and and if this was my first season, I'd have been sacked by now. Like he seemed really relaxed and at peace, and almost sort of grateful that he's still yeah. in charge at Liverpool I thought and and he did say you know something along the lines of, of like he's not going anywhere basically which I think was the firmest statement that 
we've seen like that. It was it was a different, a very different crop to on Saturday when you know, I think anytime you hear a manager asked about a potential red card for the opposition and he just turns around and says, uh, we, we'd have lost with, yeah. we wouldn't have won or we'd had no chance winning against 10 men today, basically. I think anytime you hear something like that, you think, oh, Jesus, like that's, a, that's an Antonio Conte-like move and you wonder what the future holds. But I don't know. I think my, the difficulty I always have with seeing... Jurgen Klopp leave Liverpool is I have no idea what he does next. Mm. I feel like Real Madrid and Barcelona would be a really weird fit for him. I don't think he would take another job in England, such as his connection to Liverpool. I think the same with in Germany with Dortmund. Um, and then you just sort of left with maybe the German national team. And I feel like he enjoys being on the training ground every day mm. and he'd sort of sit at home going mental if he had four months without a training session because he was doing the national team job. So I find it really, really hard to imagine him anywhere else. And because of that, I keep coming back to the conclusion that he'll just be at Liverpool forever. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why he's so relaxed. He started thinking about his retirement already or something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, Liverpool's problems this season have been well documented. Podrig, you know, they, they haven't refreshed the midfield. You've got this ageing creaking midfield they've uh, you know have come off the back of two like really intense seasons and have had a bit of an expected dip in form um, as a result of that but I look at them now and I think the problems are a bit deeper than that and I think Klopp has to take a lot of responsibility I think there's not a great deal of coaching that seems to be going on there you know you look at the way they played against City at the weekend just every time they were pressed they seemed to sort of panic they were cut open very easily Um the players just aren't really performing. Do you think Klopp needs to go back to the drawing board and work out a way to make Liverpool play better? Or do they just need a bit of a summer refresh? They bring in a few new players and start again and everything will be fine again? Yeah, I think that that is a big part of it, especially um, in midfield, I think. And they probably, one kind of leads to the other, like you mentioned, the amount of times on Saturday, it was it was frightening that Manchester City game where City players were just turning into so much space. Liverpool mm. kind of standing off, and the gaps and how long it was taking Liverpool players to get out before they finally put a bit of pressure on a City player. And a lot of the time, by the time they did, it led to a goal or led to a chance. So I think those are issues. But I, I've said it for a while about Liverpool. Or I think it believes it for a while anyway, that, um, particularly in the midfield, they they do need a lot maybe two or three, to be honest, in the sort of like Fabinho just seems like his legs are gone. Mm. Um, Henderson, you worry at the top, top level how how much time he's got left in him. Keita, I mean, you can't trust him to say fit. Same with Thiago. Like, Thiago, obviously an unbelievable player, but yeah, like he's just not been on the park enough for Liverpool yeah. at all. Um, so yeah, particularly in that area. I mean, I can't see them spending a lot of money um, in the final third. Anyway, I know Firmino's leaving, but he's been kind of out of it a bit. You kind of forget that they spent so much money and how good Luis Diaz was mm. as well, that he's missed a lot of this season. Kind of same with Jota. So I guess like in the final third, those guys will maybe seem like new signings anyway when they're back and in full fitness. Obviously, Darwin Nunez um, kind of <laughs> has, has his own problems this season, but he could obviously be a massive player for the next season. And then, yeah, I don't know, maybe they'll look... Look defensively as well. I mean, like I don't think Allison's a problem, but the, the two fullbacks were really off mm. it um, against Man City. And yeah, among Liverpool fans, it seems like Van Dijk is really, really like the most I've ever seen, to be honest, at this point, where he's really coming under fire. So 
the centre back positions, but particularly in midfield, yeah, I think they they really need to um, to invest there this summer. But yeah. I mean, you're not even seeing a lot of names like linked. I mean, Mason Mount's pretty much the only one for that kind of midfield. I think would be an incredible well, sign. Bellingham Maybe is, they is the big name. Bellingham, it? yeah. If if they did, I mean that that probably is a game changer in itself. Like. Bellingham is that good. Can they like? Can they afford it? And can they and can they can, well, convince him without Champions exactly League football? It. You're going to be spending yeah. a huge chunk of the budget. I mean, you, you know, there's there's never a particularly huge amount of money to play with uh, at Liverpool to spend 150 million on Bellingham. I just don't see how they could make that work when they need so many other players to bring in. Really, yeah. Like if we if we all kind of agree, they probably need major surgery, and there's no one there that they like with Coutinho. There's no one there that they can sell for 100 million the only one that maybe could have at some point would have been Salah and they've given him a new contract last year and now he's 30 years old and no one's going to spend that sort of money on him so you're probably yeah we're saying they'd need you know maybe a fullback they need a couple of midfielders and a centre back and then it's like Bellingham like if you sign Bellingham for the amount of money it's going to cost to sign Bellingham then they're not going to be able to sign anybody else are they yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah Oh, it'd be interesting to see how that one pans out. Uh, it's uh, Arsenal are going to Anfield this Sunday, Lewis, a ground where they've uh, had famously loads of joy in the past. You must be licking your lips. <laughs> yeah, um, I hope Mikel Arteta is belting you'll never walk alone as we speak <laughs> uh, on the training ground at London Colney. It's the only way. It's the only way to get the players in the in the right headspace, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, at least 10 years since since Arsenal won a, a league or 11, 10 seasons since Arsenal won a league game at Anfield. So as you can imagine, I am super optimistic yeah. heading into Sunday's game. We'll talk a bit about, uh, more about the title race at a later date, I think. But, you know, we've talked all season about, oh, you know, Arsenal have got this big test coming up. This is the one, this is the one. If they pass this one, <laughs> then they're going to win the league, blah, blah, blah. Is this the one though? If Arsenal win at Anfield, <laughs> is it going to be a case of now you're going to believe us? Yeah, like it's always been a case of now you're going to believe us. We're sort of in the race. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I think that it's the, just the you look at the fixture list and and Arsenal have got to go not just to Anfield, but they've got to go to City in that sort of direct clash, and they've also got to go to Newcastle still as well. Which I thought Newcastle were, I think Man United were bad, but I thought Newcastle were spectacular mm. on on Sunday against Man United, and, and no team will be watching a game like that and be relishing visiting St James's Park. So. I think, you know, you sort of, you'd back Arsenal for their home games, the away games against maybe teams in the bottom half of the table, you'd you'd back them as well. It's those three fixtures, I think, if Arsenal can take four or five points from, from the visits to Liverpool, Newcastle, Manchester City, then you'd probably say that it's going to be, City are probably going to have to win every game, really, to, to catch Arsenal yeah. at this point. Um and obviously, yeah, if, if you're looking at it like that, that four, five, six points from those three fixtures would probably be enough to see Arsenal over the line now, then obviously three points at Anfield on, on Sunday would be enormous. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk some Bundesliga now uh, because uh, there's been a high-profile managerial change around there in the past couple of weeks as well. With, uh, the one at Stuttgart, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Bruno Labbadia out on his arse again. Um, how many bloody jobs has that fellow had yeah. German <laughs> Sam Allardyce <laughs> yeah Julian Nagelsmann being, uh, being given his marching orders by Bayern Munich and Thomas Tuchel quickly brought in now Lewis casual Bundesliga observers like myself were astonished by that uh, that decision to, to get rid of Nagelsmann but I think the more hardcore uh, contingent like yourself were perhaps a bit less 
less surprise. Is that fair to say? Uh, no, I was still really taken aback um, by it. I think it, it was, um, yeah, like, it never felt like a really happy marriage between between Bayern and Nagelsmann. Um, I mean, Bayern are in a perpetual cycle of everybody at the club wants to have ultimate power and mm. doesn't really want to work together and cede any of that power and influence. And Julian Nagelsmann, much like Thomas Tuchel, is a, is a manager who does want to have as much influence and, and power at the club as possible. So I think it was quite difficult, the, the relationship between him and Hassan Salahamazic and Oliver Kahn. But you still don't think you're going to sack the manager when when you're on for the treble. You're, I mean, Bayern had won the last eight games in a row in the Bundesliga against Dortmund. That was the next game coming up, and they were a point behind them in the league. They're into a Champions League quarterfinal uh, against Manchester City. They were they were in the DFB Pokal uh, and had a, a nice home quarterfinal against Freiburg to play that the, obviously they lost last night. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have been shocked if. Nagelsmann had gone in the summer and to be honest I think Thomas Tuchel and his agent maybe finessed Bayern a little mm. bit into offering him the job now <laughs> rather than <laughs> waiting until the summer like you know I think maybe a call went in and Thomas Tuchel and his agent were like you know, we're gonna go and speak to Spurs and maybe yeah. Real Madrid but if you if you offer us the job right now then we'll take it <laughs> and uh and Bayern went oh shit we we'd better do that then and then decided to um, to fire Julian Nagelsmann after after the entire world had found out they were already doing it, they let they kindly let him know. Yeah. Apparently, he was skiing at the time, wasn't he? And he, he had loads of missed yeah. calls or something. And skiing, um, yeah, skiing, and he, he, him and his agent or his agency have said that he didn't have any calls or anything um, from the club, and that he found out because uh, of the reports in the media that he was about to be sacked. Uh, Bayern said, "Ah, oh, like he was, he was on holiday. He was skiing. We couldn't go and um, we couldn't <laughs> go and let him know." And Lotto Mateus on TV at the weekend was like, "Well, I go to that ski resort as well. It's about a forty-five <laughs> minute drive from the stadium. So I reckon you could have made your way up there and maybe just said something to him in person." Um, Oliver Kahn chasing him down the slope. Like <laughs> yeah, James Bond and the, the spy who loved me. Yeah. <laughs> all the men. Of all the men you would not like chasing you, Oliver Kahn is right yeah. up there. And of all <laughs> of the men true. in football who look like they could be and, and act and, and sound like they could be a Bond villain as well, Oliver Kahn would be a terrifying one. <laughs> yeah. Patrick, is it just my kind of um, city paranoia here or have they looked at this upcoming Champions League tie and thought, hmm, maybe uh, Pep Guardiola's kryptonite will be the man to get us through this, this tie? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Tuchel does have a really good record, doesn't he, against yeah. Man City? So, not that... I'm sure Nagelsmann um, would have been well prepared for it as well. But yeah, Tuchel's record it speaks for itself and obviously got the better of him um, in the final before as well. So, I mean, if, if it works out, they'll look like geniuses. But uh, it's also, I mean, they have just been bounced out of another cup competition <laughs> yeah. um, very swiftly on the back of Tuchel's first game. The, the treble dream is over on that front. So yeah, maybe that'll quell their, their optimism a little bit and hope for you as well Dan yes indeed yeah <laughs> what about that uh, that game against Dortmund at the weekend then Lewis that 40 win for Bayern was that was, the, was there some tuckle influence there do you think or was it more a case of Dortmund uh, doing what Dortmund often do in that fixture and shooting themselves in the foot yeah I would say I would say the latter I think I don't think we can give Thomas Tuchel too much credit for, for Gregor Kobel's mistake, obviously. And then, you know, from there, Dortmund let in another one a few minutes later from a set piece. And 
I mean, two 0 down in Munich. I think you, there are the number of teams in history that could come back against any Bayern side. You probably count on one hand. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was. You know, I think it was a, a case of Dortmund. Obviously, a hideous mistake from from probably Dortmund's player of the season in Gregor Kobel yeah. to to give Bayern the lead. And then a, a little bit of it just took Dortmund too long to recover from it. I think. I think if you're one 0 down, then obviously the next ten fifteen minutes you want to just tighten up and make sure nothing else happens. Uh, ten minutes later, Dortmund were three 0 down and the game was over. Really. Um, so yeah, I mean it was, it was a dream start for for Tuchel and for Bayern, but I don't know how much credit he can take for it. Yeah, it was a real shame that game from a neutral perspective. I was I was really hoping for a very close game uh, the way it panned out. I'm sure you were, as a Dortmund fan, were even more disappointed. But as uh, as Podrick touched on there, Bayern knocked out of the uh, the DFB Pokal by Freiburg on Tuesday night. Does that kind of give Dortmund some renewed hope in the title race now, Lewis? Has it opened the door again? I know it's obviously a different competition, but <laughs> does it show that Bayern quite perhaps aren't back on the straight and narrow? Yeah, I mean, well, firstly, it gives Dortmund some hope of winning a trophy start yeah. this season. It's, it's a hell of a lot easier to win the cup when, when Bayern aren't in it. Yeah. Um, so, so like, firstly, that's probably what Dortmund will be looking at before they play on, on Wednesday against Leipzig. And it's obviously a, be a, probably another, another close game. The fa- uh, whoever wins that one will probably favor themselves as, as the, the ones to go on and win the trophy now. Um, but yeah, like I think maybe maybe you wonder psychologically Bayern play Freiburg uh, again on Saturday um, in the in the league and obviously Dortmund two points behind. I think Bayern have got quite a friendly run in this game against Freiburg on Saturday. Might be there or probably be the the biggest chance of them dropping points. I'm sure Dortmund will be looking at that and and hoping and thinking, you know, if Freiburg can get something over Bayern at uh, the weekend, then Dortmund have immediately got the chance to go back atop of the table um, and and then from there. Who knows? Uh, win your games and look after yourself and you'll be fine as long as you're top of the league. So, yeah, I'm sure Dortmund will be having a keen eye. They're, they're, those two games are on at the same time on, on yeah. Saturday, but I'm sure Dortmund will have a keen eye on, on what's going on in yeah. the, the game against Freiburg and hoping to go top of the league. If the, if the Bayern win that one um, on on Saturday, then I think it's very hard to see Dortmund catching them. Yeah, Am I right in saying that it's been a while since we've even had a title race in the Bundesliga at this point in the season? I'd say we've had one in the last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, so or probably maybe two in the last seven or eight years. Yeah, Lucien Favre's Dortmund uh, took it to the final day oh, in 2018-19. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was as close as we had. And that was a weird season where it was a, a case of Dortmund and Bayern both stumbling towards the finish line rather than... Dortmund winning every week to to keep up with Bayern as as usually is the case is obviously what <laughs> yeah. they have to do is the one time that Bayern dropped a bunch of points Dortmund dropped a bunch of points as well um you know so yeah that was a a bit of a calamity of a title race if you like <laughs> um this year it, it both teams have, have been in good form and it looks more like a the sort of title race where someone will win it because they'll win five or six in a row mm. um but you'd have to say you know at this stage with I think eight games left whoever's top of the league has the the massive advantage yep uh, well, one country where there is definitely no title race uh, is Italy, because Napoli are 16 points clear still at the uh, the top of the Serie A table, despite, Podrig, a 4-0 defeat to uh, AC Milan at the weekend. Uh, what the hell happened to them there? Is there some suggestion that complacency might have crept in, or is it just not really that big a deal? Yeah, I think probably just not really that big a deal. It's <laughs> just one of those, I think, that can happen when... Um, when you're just so unchallenged, um, so far ahead, and I think that this game was also quite a weird one where 
pretty much none of Napoli's ultras were at the game and it led to quite a weird atmosphere. They were like protesting against there's like new measures they want to bring in at the stadium to kind of restrict what they can and can't do. So they were protesting at that and then some of the fans that were there, they were even fighting among themselves at half time. So there was like a, a real kind of toxic atmosphere in the stadium um for that one. Napoli also like just before it they just like lost uh Victor Rossiman it's like the top scorer in the league this season. He mm-hmm. got injured before it. So I think it was kind of a, a perfect storm. And then on top of that, you also had a, a Milan team coming who they've actually got quite a good record against Napoli um, recently. And they obviously came the defending champions. I think they know that their title's going to end up in Napoli quite soon. But I think they wanted obviously to go and get one over on them. And then you've got the Champions League coming up as well, which, yeah, that really adds a kind of a weird... Um, weird one ahead of that game because I mean no I think nobody was expecting this this kind of result um from the league game so yeah it'll be inter- really interesting to see how that kind of impacts on the Champions League game because obviously Napoli have never been this far um in this competition before and I think a lot of people kind of seem to have them in the final now yeah. kind of they've kind of everyone's bracket or whatever if you want to call it that has kind of seeing past Inter, Benfica and, and Milan as well, which I think is a very dangerous one to do. Um, I mean, they've not been in it so much in recent years, obviously, but Milan are very much like the Italian kind of Real Madrid. Like they, I think it would mean a lot more to them to if you offered them the European Cup Champions League at the start of a season or if you offered them the Scudetto, I think a lot of them would probably settle for um, the Euro- European glory. And yeah, yeah obviously like Napoli haven't been this far. Yeah, you could see the kind of bright lights in that night. I don't think it's going to be as straightforward um, that one actually, uh, especially if Ossiman's not back. Yeah, that'd be a, a huge loss. For I was going to say, how huge is it him being out? Because is it Giovanni Simeone is the sort of backup to him? Yeah, the, position, the yeah. backup, and he, he's he's done really well and been a as, as backups go, and he's been really good in the Champions League this season, um, the group stages and stuff as well. Uh, Quite nice, obviously, to have a, a an Argentine guy uh, scoring goals in Naples as well. That always goes down really well with them, obviously. Uh, but it's just not awesome, and especially this season, like he's just been absolutely unstoppable. Yeah. I think Napoli are already talking about if anybody does want to come and get him in the summer, it's pretty much pay one hundred and fifty million, or we're quite happy to to hold on to him. So. Yeah, if, if, especially if he's out. I mean, there's only so much Farid Skelia can kind of do on his own. So, yeah, that'll be a huge loss. But the, it seems like they're kind of quietly optimistic that, right. that he'll make it back for that. Didn't I read in your article the other day that he uh, he ditched his face mask and they reckon that's why he got injured? It well, was, he, uh, like well a yeah, he lost thing. it. Yeah, he lost oh. it. And, yeah, and, and Napoli, like, that city is really weird for, like, they take, like, all these kind of superstitions and stuff really seriously. And then, yeah, he lost his, his lucky face mask. And then it was, I think it was either the next day or later that night, it came out that he picked up an injury and was out. And I think, I mean, you'll, you'll have people in Napoli now, I think, who'll be genuinely worried that this is the start of the collapse and that the, <laughs> the title gets away. Although you wouldn't really know it, I think. Like if you've seen a lot of photos and videos and stuff from the city the last few weeks and there's... They've pretty much they've got Napoli champions twenty twenty three and stuff like 
Euro get the bunting out. I was going to say, I, would, I, I don't know if I would be comfortable with that if I was a Napoli yeah. fan, even though it's like nailed on that they're going to win it. Like It seems a little premature to me, that. I, I agree, I agree. But I mean, they, they do have some some classic history with that kind of I think the very first time that they, they won the league, they hung a big... Um, banner over the, the biggest graveyard in the city just saying, oh, you don't know what you've missed <laughs> uh, while they were all partying it. So, yeah, they like they like to enjoy their, their banners in the lake there, for yeah. sure. But I'm, I'm with you. At, even at 19 points, which it was going into the international break, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be tempting any kind of fate yeah, with that nonsense. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and finally, there was uh, some very... Crazy scenes at the end of the uh, Juventus uh, Inter 1-1 draw in the uh, Copa del Rey here. It's the Copa Italia, of course. Uh, uh, semi-final first leg, I believe. Um, Lukaku scoring a penalty to equalise for Inter at the end. Um, and then was sent off. What happened there? Well, yeah, he'd, like you said, he'd scored the penalty. He'd been getting um, you know, racial abuse throughout the game. And then, obviously, all the more so when he'd stepped up to take the penalty. And I mean, didn't didn't really do anything like a whole lot wrong. Kind of just put his hand up to to silence the the Juve fans and caused a bit of an altercation. And then the end result was second yellow card. He was sent off, and then it it carried on after the full time whistle. And then yeah, Quadrado who scored for Juve sent off as well. Um, what did he do? Because I saw I saw some Juve fans being really pissed off at him on Twitter as well, actually. Well, yeah, he just got involved in a bit of a a, a scrap, a stramash is the word we would use in Scotland, <laughs> I suppose, um, with, with Handanovic, who was in goal for Inter, and then, yeah, the two of them uh, both sent off for that one. It always, yeah, just didn't seem like there was there was a whole lot in it, but, yeah, the Lukaku one just, it's, it ha- happens all too often, I think, in, in Italian football, and it's spoken about, and it's the same, it's like the morning after, and you've seen all the... The same kind of statements and this this must stop and this must change, but I mean, like nothing, nothing ever does. And until I don't know, stadium closures or whatever it whatever it takes, but nothing that's that's been done at the minute um, is working. But yeah, yeah they're not a, not nice scenes at all at the end of that. No, certainly not. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably a pretty feisty second leg to come as well. Oh yes. Yep. Uh, well, that will do us for this episode. Thank you to Lewis and Podrick for joining me, and thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, the One Football Podcast is back, but we'll be coming at you a little more, more sporadically from now on, I think, which is uh, my way of saying I'm not sure when the next episode is going to be at the moment. But uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled on social media and on your podcast apps and all that, and we will hopefully catch you soon.